Good morning. Greetings in Christ's name this morning. I remember back when I was a boy, sitting here in church, singing songs. There was a child's song that I remember singing in Sunday school or summer Bible school. About Jesus, 12 disciples. Um, it goes like this. There was 12 disciples. Jesus called to help them, help him. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, his brother, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Titus, Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew. He has called us to... He has called us to, we are his disciples, I am one, and you. He has called us to, he has called us to, we are his disciples, we, his work must do. When I was thinking about this song, this sermon, um, and before I looked up the words for this song, I thought that the phrase, I am one, and you, was, I am one, are you, and giving it as a question form. Um, this morning, that is going to be my question to all of you. Are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? So what makes a true disciple of Jesus? I'm fairly certain that everyone that attends a church across the world would say that they are a disciple of Jesus. But are they true disciples? There may, be, there may be some here today at Weavertown that would say that they are a disciple of Jesus. But are you? Am I truly a disciple? What is your life show? Usually, it is those closest to us that can see into our life. What do they say about your life? What does Jesus say about you? Are you truly one of his disciples? Let's find out what Jesus has to say about that. I'm going to be spending a lot of time here in John 15, so just keep your Bibles open there. Um, just the background of this chapter, I think it's really good if we get the background of any passage of Scripture. But the purpose of this passage is to show the reader... Um, if they are a disciple of Jesus. And we can see that in verse 8, the end of the last phrase there, so shall you be my disciples. This chapter happens at the night of Jesus' arrest. Um, John records the most information about what happened, um, what all Jesus told his disciples the night of his arrest. Um, it starts in chapter John 13, and with the feet washing and all that, and his arrest and trial happens in John 18. Six chapters in just a couple of hours. Jesus and his disciples had the Passover feet and the feet washing, like I said, in chapter 13. In chapter 14, Jesus talks to his disciples about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this happened while they were still eating um, the Passover feast at the table. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus says, Arise, let us go hence. And it appears that chapters 15, 16, and 17, Jesus is speaking to his disciples as they were walking along to the Mount of Olives. So what made Jesus talk about 
the vine and the branch. And to be clear, I believe that he is referring to grapevines. In the land of Israel, there was plenty of grapevines that were grown. And also remember the 12 spies that went out to spy out Canaan, spy out the land. What did they bring back? They brought back clusters of grapes big enough that they needed to carry between two men with a staff. Israel is known for its vineyards. So as Jesus and his disciples were walking along, it is possible that they were walking through a vineyard. Also, another reason why Jesus maybe brought it up is because throughout the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as a vine. And Jesus was building on that thought, I think. And I will speak more on that later. This picture here is of the, of the vine and the branch. It's not a parable, but it's considered as an allegory. An allegory is, is considered as a story palm or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. And like I said, this picture of the vine and the branches gives us a beautiful picture of what a true disciple is. Here in um, the first two verses, we see three important points to this allegory, the husbandman, the vine, and the branch. These important points can show us who are Jesus' disciples and also who are truly the ones who are born again, who are saved. And I think the word truly is a key word there. And with some of these points that I'm going to make, um, it may be difficult to see where exactly I'm trying to get you and I to answer the question about whether I am a true disciple or not. But stick with me to the end of the sermon, and I think you can see where I'm going at. Let's look at the husbandman. A husbandman is considered as one who is a tiller of the soil. He is the vine dresser, or he is the farmer. In different other translations, it is referred to as the vine dresser. In this allegory, Jesus says that my father is the husbandman. God is the one who is the vine dresser. Jesus is not considered here as the husbandman caring for the branches, but is referred to as the vine whom God cares for. Jesus is cared for by God. Why or how is Jesus considered this way? Isn't he the one who is in control of all things? Isn't he the one who brings salvation to mankind? When Jesus was here on this earth, who did he depend on? Many times he told his disciples and also to the Pharisees that he was dependent on God. So Jesus was fully dependent on God while he was here on the earth as a man. <clears throat> I believe now, as he is sitting on the right side of the Father, God exalted Jesus, gave back to Jesus what he left behind when he came down to the earth. 
I want to look at some verses that show us how Jesus was dependent on the Father as the vine dressers. And I want to put them on the PowerPoint. <clears throat> Isaiah 11:2. This verse is talking about a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. And we know that this is, of course, referring to Jesus. And just catch how um, Jesus is relying on the Father. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Here we see that the vine dresser dispatched the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to rest upon Jesus. This Spirit gave him wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, and also knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And also in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, um, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus there. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has set, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Notice what all the Holy Spirit helps Jesus to do. Preach good tidings to the meek, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And notice it is the Lord who anointed, it is God who anointed Jesus with special tasks, with the aid of the Holy Spirit. It is a vine dresser who cares and provides strength for the vine, Jesus. Another verse, John 5, 19, 20. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. We can see that the Son, or Jesus, could do nothing of himself except what he sees the Father do. Just like a little child sees what his Father does and imitates him, so also does Jesus, sees what God does and imitates him. Jesus, who was the creator of all things, needed to be shown by the Father the things that he must do. God, the vine dresser, caring for the vine. Oops. Also, John 5.30, I can do on my own self, I can have my own self do nothing. Um, John 6.38, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. He was depending, Jesus was depending on the Father's will. And also John 8, 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. <clears throat> Jesus came from God. God was the one who sent Jesus. And there are many verses that we can go to in the book of John that tells us that Jesus was depending 
on God. He was, de- he was depending on the vine dresser to care for the vine. It was the vine dresser who watered and cared for the vine. So what is the job of the vine dresser? And we especially see that in John 15, 2. And this is one of the ways that the vine dresser cares for the vine. Um, first, we see that he cuts the branch off that doesn't bear any fruit. And those branches are taken away to be burned, like we see in verse 6. These branches that he cuts off are attached to the vine, but had no life in them. They are lifeless. Another job that the farmer does is um, he prunes the branches. He cuts off the useless shoots. He trims the branches. And why is this done? It is done to produce more fruit. So what purpose does the husband, men, the vine dresser, or the farmer have? And what is he wanting to accomplish? As a gardener or an orchard grower, what are you looking for? Is it nice, bushy, green cucumber plants? Or the tall, staked-up tomato plant? Or the nice fruit tree full of green, green leaves? Is that the purpose of the farmer? It isn't just the green plants that we are looking for um, in the summer. The end result for a farmer is the fruit that it bears. Every gardener would be just disappointed if there would be no fruit. And that is the same for God. The farmer, the vine dresser, God wants fruit that the branches bears. And notice why he prunes the fruit or prunes the branches so that it bears more fruit, so that it is more fruitful. God wants more fruit. And also we see uh, verse 8 of John 15. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bring, or that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. It brings glory to the farmer. It brings glory to the vine dresser. It brings glory to God when the branches bear much fruit. So who is responsible to bring forth fruit? The branch is helpless to produce fruit of itself. The vine, or as we will see that Christ, is also helpless to bring forth fruit if the branches do not abide in him. Is God even responsible for the fruit that grows on the branch as he nourishes and cares for it? It seems to me that there is a working together the Trinity working to accomplish the same goal in producing fruit. Of God the gardener, caring for his garden and his vine, telling his vine what to do. The Holy Spirit giving the strength and energy to the plant. And Jesus, or the vine, transporting that strength and energy to the branches to produce the fruit. So it's a working together of the Trinity. God 
is waiting patiently for the harvest of the fruit. James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until ye receive the early and latter rain. Notice the husbandman is waiting. He has great patience for just the right time, the harvest time, where he will receive his precious fruit. And I believe this speaks of God's mercy. He wants to be... He wants to be able to experience the greatest amount of fruit that is able to. <clears throat> Isaiah 27, 2-6, this speaks about how God will care for his vineyard. And I believe this is especially talking about the 1,000-year reign of Christ. <clears throat> In that day, sing ye unto her a vineyard of red wine. I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it night and day. Fury is not in me. He would set the briars and thorns against me in battle. I will go through them. I will burn them together. Or let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me. And he shall make peace with me. He shall cause them that come of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Let's talk about the true vine now. Who is the vine here in verse 1 and also we see in verse 5? It says that I am the vine. The one speaking to the disciples is the vine. And we know the one speaking to his disciples is, of, is of course, Jesus. And what do we know about the vine? A vine is one that provides nutrients for the branches. It gives life to the branches. It also gives water to the branches for the fruit that it produces. The, the vine is very crucial for the branch to have life. Jesus said that I am the true vine. What did he mean when he said that I am? This is the seventh thing in the book of John where Jesus tells the disciples, and those around him that I am. He told them that I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. When Jesus used the phrase, I am, I believe he was pointing back to the Old Testament where God told Moses, I am that I am. The phrase I am means that I am the self-existent one, the eternal, the one who always have been and always will be. By Jesus saying this, he was saying that he was equal with God, that Jesus always was. He also is saying that all creation gets his strength and power from himself. His statement also states that he never changes. His promises, his judgment, his commands never change. The Pharisees, they didn't understand this and chose not to believe what Jesus said about his deity. 
In John 6, we can see their response after Jesus told them, told them that he is the bread of life. Uh, yeah, 6.42, and they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? And remember, the, the name I am says that he always was. And also in John 10, the Jews took up stones uh, stone Jesus after he told them, I am the good shepherd. And it gives us reason why they were going to stone Jesus, and it sends back to the I am that he called himself. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. The phrase, the true vine. Why did Jesus have to insert true when he said that he was the vine? By saying that, it would indicate that there is another vine. Besides Jesus that the disciples were aware of. It seems that this other vine that the disciples were aware of was something that was imperfect, defective, frail, and uncertain. Jesus needed to tell his disciples that he was the real, true, genuine vine. What was the defective vine that Jesus and, his, and the disciples were thinking about? Israel was that defective vine. Remember what a vine does? It brings life to those who are attached to it. So Israel was the source of life to the nations around them after God planted and took care of them. I'm going to read some verses that speak of Israel as a vine. Uh, first one is in Genesis 17, 6. Um, this is the time where God made promises to Abraham. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make, make, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. God is telling Abraham that he will be very fruitful. Also, Psalms 81, 8 to 13. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it and didst cause it to take deep root. And it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it. And the boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars. She sent out her boughs unto the sea and her branches unto the river. Why hast thou bro then broken down her hedges, so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her? The boar out of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast of the field hath devoured it. <clears throat> Notice the vine which came out of Egypt that was planted by God. <clears throat> the hedges around this vine was broken down, which caused this vine to become wasted. <clears throat> If you read the rest of that psalm, Psalm 80, um, it speaks about Israel crying out for salvation. It's a beautiful psalm. Also, Isaiah 5, 1 to 7. Now will I sing to my beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard 
in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vines and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of, Israel, of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in, in it? Wherefore, when I looked, that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or digged, nor digged, but there shall come up briars of thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no, rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. <clears throat> we can see how God, <clears throat> excuse me, we can see how God took care of it. But Israel brought forth wild grapes, and its vineyard became ruined. Also, there's, you see other verses that I'm not going to turn to read that, but Deut Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 27, Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 12, Ezekiel 17, and that's not all of them. There's more verses that speak about Israel as the vine. <clears throat> Israel started out as a good vine and ended up as a degenerate plant of a strange vine. Many times the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders told Jesus that Abraham was their father. Therefore, they were the source of spiritual life as being the vine. Let's look at the branches now. And here we are trying to answer the question, are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? If we look in verse 2, we, see that we can see that there's two different kinds of branches there's two different kinds of branches. The one branch bears no fruit, and the other branch bears fruit. The one branch that has no fruit, it says that it is in me. Or another word for in me is that it is by or with me. So this branch that bears no fruit is still by the vine or is with the vine. And the, and the other branch that bears fruit, we can see, is abiding in the vine. Out of those two branches, which one do you suppose is a true disciple of Jesus? It is one who bears fruit. That is the true disciple of Jesus. All Christians, every single Christian, bears fruit fruit. They are true disciples. If you don't bear fruit, you're not a Christian. You're not a true disciple of Jesus. You may pretend like it, but you're not a true one. Among Jesus' 12 disciples, uh, he, he had disciples and also true disciples. He had disciples with him and other disciples abiding with him. 
Who was the disciple that wasn't a true disciple? We talked about it in our Sunday school lesson this morning. Judas Iscariot. He was the fake disciple. Just a couple chapters before, Judas left his last meeting with the disciples, left the Passover meal to betray Jesus. Judas was with Jesus for three years. He was an ordinary man. Um, he looked like the rest of the disciples, but yet in the book of John, he was considered as a thief. He didn't care about the needs of others like the poor. Judas was filled with Satan. In other words, he was demon-possessed. He wasn't clean, like it says in John 13. And in John 17, he's considered as a son of perdition, or the son of destruction. He was considered as lost. The other disciples didn't recognize the state that Judas Iscariot was in, that he was lost, that he was the one that was going to betray Jesus. Uh, Mark 14, 18, and 19 indicates that they didn't realize who Judas was. Um, he was going to betray Jesus. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto, unto, one, unto him, one by one, Is it I? Another said, Is it I? None of them knew what or who Judas was. Also in John 13, when Jesus told them that one of them would betray him, they were doubting of whom he spoke. He spake. They all thought that they were true disciples. This idea of true disciples and false disciples reminds me of other verses that speak of that. Um, Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall, un shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Also, the two houses in Matthew 7, they both looked the same, but the foundation was different. The one house was able to stand in the midst of the storm. The other house crumbled and fell under pressure. And there's a verse in John 8, that, it, that would indicate true disciples and false. Then says Jesus to those disciples which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Or in the ESV it says, You are truly my disciples. This is not just for the disciples to answer or figure out. So what about you or I? Am I a true disciple of Jesus Christ, or am I a fake disciple? There are so many people in our world today that are pretenders, just like Judas was. They walked with Jesus, they hear his teachings all their life, they act like one of Jesus' disciples. They go to church every Sunday, they go to Bible studies. I was talking about those in the world, but what about here at Weavertown? Are we all truly one of Jesus' disciples? There may be a child here who has never made a commitment to follow Jesus. Their parents were Christians or are Christians. 
They came to church every Sunday, but they never made a choice for themselves. Or maybe you are in the youth group, or you're an adult, and you're pretending. You act like you're a disciple, but you're fake. Everyone around you thinks that you're a disciple because of what you do. Quit pretending and become one of Jesus' true disciples so that you can bear much fruit so that our Father can be glorified. So what will happen to the fruitless branches? And we see that in verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. The branch is cast forth. He is cast in a way when you throw garbage out. You don't care necessarily where the garbage lands. You just throw your garbage out, and that's where it goes. There's no gently laying the branch down, but is cast away. That branch becomes withered. It just shrivels up, and it becomes dried up. It is then cast into the fire to be burned. This is the result of fruitless branches. So where are you at this morning? Are you or am I a true disciple of Jesus Christ? I want to challenge you to make sure to bear fruit. Make sure that you're abiding in Christ. I want to read the verses in closing John 15, 1 and 2, and also in verse 8. I am the true vine. My Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Let's kneel to pray.